what's going on? You're listening to the Film Drunk Broadcast, coming at you not live from two uh, independent locations. I didn't know what that was. Bonus This week is a free bonus episode for free that me and Matt are going to do. Not just for the patrons. That's the thing. You know, Usually we're like, if it's just me and Vince, we're going straight to Patreon, but not today. No, today, this is for the masses, dude. This yeah. is for all the real listeners. By real ones, I mean the ones who have been leeching off us for years. <laughs> I mean, all and, the other podcasts, they do it for the critics, but we this no, one, not us. we do it for the fans. We do it for the fans. We live for the fans. We die for the fans. Live by That's the fan, right. die by the fan. Yeah, Ben died for the fans. Remember ben that. Ben literally died for all of your sins. Yeah. And so that we could carry on his message of really not enjoying film. He carried them. He like carried them into his testicle, and then our fans were so sinful that it just eventually consumed his entire body. That's a good point, Vince. I I think our listeners uh, are quick to forget that they killed Ben. That's right. Yes, it was all, it was, <laughs> it was all you guys. It was all them. It was not uh, nature, nor was it freak accident or happenstance or genetics. It was literally just the sins of our listeners. That's right. So you guys, be less sinful out there, because me and Matt want to live forever. That's right. And you know what? Every time I feel a hardness in my balls, I think to myself, someone who listens to the broadcast has sinned today. That's right. One of uh-huh. our fans, fans touched themselves again. Yes. Every time you touch yourself, uh, I'm one step closer to the edge. <laughs> He's about to break. And I'm about to break, dude. <laughs> yeah. Remember when you uh, you interviewed the Linkin Park guy? And, I like, do. And you like didn't know what to ask him? <laughs> yeah, because... Because I felt like I got quickly thrown into the deep end of the blogging pool. Yeah. Where they were just like, hey, now interview a director who was also in Linkin Park and ask him about his movie that you just saw a screener for. And uh, that's what I we felt, do out here on these streets, Matt. Yeah. I felt out of my depth. And I also felt like chillingly comfortable playing a role that I was in no way uh, like qualified for, which is. The plight of the white man, I think, all <laughs> over the well, United States. It's also what comedians do. That's what you do. It is. Yeah. It is. That's our job. You, you go know? up there We're and not... pretend to know stuff. We pretend to know, and you pretend to listen, and that's uh, we appreciate our our silent our silent exchange. Of yeah. Money. And then you you know you wrote it up honestly, and I want yeah. and, and I liked that. That that was why it was hilarious. I had to fight for that piece because my editor was like. This is going to make us look unprofessional, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's why that's yeah. why journalism isn't honest, because everybody's afraid of looking foolish or like looking not smart every once in a while. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, you know, people uh, people are afraid to speak truth to power. No, it's and, just a uh, natural. I think people don't want to show that they when they don't know something. But if you don't admit that you don't know something, then you don't fucking learn anything. Absolutely right. Yeah, and I'm I'm never afraid to admit that I don't know much about Linkin Park or horror films. Uh-huh. Uh, but I did know what uh, what things were movies and what things were TV shows, which I think is my favorite part of the interview. It was I think I asked him uh, some different like horror films that he enjoyed, uh-huh. and he named a bunch of television shows, and, which is fine because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know what's the difference really. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, a lot of those that you mentioned, those movies you mentioned are actually television shows. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, but 
I had a lot of fun. I, I mean, it's, it's easier. It's easier to banter when you're not like over a crappy phone line as those inter- oh, interviews yeah. usually are. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, we, we, I did feel very much constrained by just waiting for him to finish talking yeah. and me just w- waiting to get a question in because I, I was only listening just enough to, I also didn't record the conversation. So I was just writing down notes. Oh God. Really? Yeah, no, because I I didn't I forgot that it would be very important for me to get <laughs> yeah. you know v- things verbatim. So I just started writing down notes of what he was saying. Is that journalistically integrous? I don't know. Yeah, I, well, I I went to creative writing school. I didn't go to journalism school, but I know that I never learned to take shorthand. And, oh yeah, and my handwriting is very slow and childlike. And like if I have to take notes shorthand of what someone's uh saying there's no way it's going to get down on the paper correctly and instead of like you know usually when you're you're like listening to someone talk and then thinking about what you're going to ask as a follow-up but if you're writing the shit down it seems like way harder i don't know yeah i'm sure that's if a you skill go that back... like seymour hirsch fucking has or something but i don't have it yeah if you if you go back to uh that that blog post about whatever fucking movie that was um I think it's. I make it abundantly clear that I'm only getting uh, bits and pieces of what he's saying. <laughs> I think I even wrote that in the piece. I was like, I forgot that recording this would be good, but I didn't. Yeah, and I kind of wonder if they understand the game. And the game, in terms of being an interviewer, is like, I write down like four questions that I know that they want to be asked like the really yeah. obvious ones that like I kind of have to ask for like background information and then I have like the fun stuff or like the more challenging stuff or the thing that I think is going to get an interesting answer but what usually yeah. happens is you just you they they take so fucking long to answer the first two questions that you never have time to ask the interesting ones right yeah cuz you only have so much time with people and you you want to you know present yourself well first and yeah. uh I, sometimes I think that's a tactic by some people. You interview them and they're like, I'm just going to take forever with the first question. Yeah. yeah. That way I don't have to get into the meat. And it's harder on the phone because, you know, in person you have like social cues and, and visual cues to like establish a rapport. Whereas over yeah. the phone, it's just like, who the fuck is this guy? And then sometimes I'll ask a question that like in person would be like bantery and fun. Uh, but like over the phone, they like take offense to or something. I don't know. Yeah, I remember because right, you can't see your dead eyes when you're making a joke. <laughs> yeah, it's I, very important to see Vince's dead eyes when he's saying something sarcastic. Yeah, I interviewed that guy Matt Walsh from Veep about this terrible movie that he did. Oh and yeah, I've oh, I've only heard that he's a super nice guy, but I think I, I think the I asked him like I yeah. was trying to ask him about because I'm always fascinated by like sketch people and I want to know like the like silliest sketches they ever wrote or like the dumbest, sure 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 like the most like the thinnest character they ever had to play. And so I asked him, like, I think it, I think I came out like, what's the dumbest character you've ever had to play in a sketch? And then and which I don't think is a mean question. But then everything, yeah, no. everything after that was just him giving me like one word answers. Like he's like, well, fuck this guy. Like everything, oh, everything damn. after that, I think he was like, well, fuck off, dude. Oh, bummer. Yeah. Oh, well, if if only you gotten to see your face when you asked him what the dumbest character he's ever played is. Yeah, well, I was just then making he, that. Then he would see that you were having fun with it. Not, That's right. Not, you were laughing with him, not at him. Yeah, I'm one of these guys who likes to have fun, you know? Yeah, you're just like a good time. You're uh, Mr. Good Time. Yeah. Vince Good Time, they call good you. Good Time Party Boy. 
Um, so Matt and I are here today. We're going to talk once upon well, a time. Well, we're not here today. Well, we're in two separate locations. That's right. Uh, I am in my Los Angeles apartment and Vince is in an undisclosed location. That's right. Um, and Fresno. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And we were going to talk once upon a time in Hollywood, but first, uh-huh. um, I, I know this is a sad post, but there is a, like a porn star, a guy who used to be a porn star, uh, died uh, today or was found dead, I guess. Oh, um, bummer. This guy, Brandon Iron. Okay. And I'm reading this, I'm reading, I was reading this piece on AVN, uh, you know, Adult Video News, uh, you know, who also hold the AVN Awards, with which Matt sure, and I sure. have both covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so people are giving like their reminisces of this guy, uh, Brandon Iron. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it just made me realize that uh, I love I love porn people. I think they're great. But porn people are literally the best people on earth. I I realize that I don't necessarily want them to write my eulogy, <laughs> um, because this article it just the end of it. it wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Read it. So um, uh, another fellow AVN Hall of Famer, Jim Powers, offered. I remember when Brandon first got in. I got a Polaroid sent to me from Canada. It was back when he had that big mustache and everything. This guy with a mustache from Canada, and he wanted to come down and start doing porn. At the time, I used to shoot for JM and so forth. I would shoot amateur lines and stuff for them, which I don't know what that means. I guess he would... Does that mean you would he would fuck for that? Like, does that mean you're a stuff? I have cock? no idea. Anyway. Amateur lines? Yeah, I would shoot amateur lines and stuff for them. What stuff? S S T U F L. Oh, I guess he would shoot the he would shoot amateur lines and stuff. Like, okay, I get it. Yeah, so he would, amateur lines and stuff and okay, junk and I got shit. It. I got it. All yeah. right, I get it. All right. Well, I still don't know I, what amateur re- lines are. I read that. I read it. Read too much into that. Anyway, yeah, uh, I would shoot amateur lines and stuff for them, and I'll never forget the first time I shot him. I go, this guy is great, huge cock. He's getting it hard, and I was shooting. <laughs> what are you talking about? This is good so far. Oh, so, so far, so great. So far. Uh, and I was shooting features at the time for the old Spice Network, and I shoot him in this feature. And the first scene is going to be this big on this big, huge table. And he walks out, I remember, and he just pulls out his cock. And his co-star looks over and she goes, there's a new sheriff in town. That's what I'll always remember. So, all right. So far, so far, so good, right? I love it. And then, I love it. Okay, so this, far, I want I want porn stars to write my eulogy. I, I disagree <laughs> with the your premise so far. Okay, well, wait till I read the last two paragraphs of this piece uh, okay. about him dying. He went on. What I also remember is that Brandon was at all of our bukkakis. He just liked <laughs> hanging out at the bukkakis. And I'd always go, what the fuck are you doing here? But he just loved being at the bukkakis. <laughs> that was Brandon, man. Brandon was the ultimate pervert. He He lived and breathed it. <laughs> and then and then the last line of the piece it's truly sad powers reflected he was the real deal oh man i i still disagree with your premise okay <laughs> so i understand that it might sound like hey you know what he calls him a pervert the man is dead no about, i'm, I'm not know. saying it's disrespectful <laughs> it's just like i can't not laugh at that reminisce yeah it's that's it's just like listen when I die, Vince, mm-hmm. someone who listens to the broadcast or someone doing research on me for the obituary, obituary will listen to the broadcast. And I know what my fucking eulogy is going to be. I know my obituary is going to be like, you know, he is survived by his three sons, uh, his four wives, and um, 
and you know and all someone all of the dead big mouth billy basses that he tried to fuck and a sea of dead mouth (laughs) dead big mouth billy basses uh he loved snorkeling (laughs) snowboarding and uh eating that butt uh he loved to get it in when he could get it wet when he should and he <laughs> and he will always be remembered by his slogan percy coffee me <laughs> yeah and and i'm okay with that i've accepted that if i hadn't accepted that i wouldn't have gotten to the business same thing with uh with this guy you know brandon yeah. irons was like he was the new sheriff in town the dude <laughs> You have to be proud of your big cock. Oh, and, I wouldn't be if I had one. For I mean, sure. This is this is the career he's chosen, and I'm sure, like, I'm sure you know it's an untimely death, and it is sad. But you got to say he, the dude, lived a lot of life. He uh, he yeeted a lot of thick ropes, and you gotta <laughs> you gotta give credit where credit is due for that, man. What I mean, what would be worse would be a bland ass obituary where someone is just like. Oh, I remember he really liked uh, eating Skittles and and watching Big Little Lies. It's like, ugh, gross. I want to hear about a guy who's like spent his life just watching Bukaki live just because he was like, I have nothing else to do today. And even if I did, there's no place I would rather be. I sent you that that picture of the headstone that I saw at another friend's funeral, didn't I? It was like a headstone that was near his and it was also like clearly a young guy and it had all of his like... It had his catchphrase on it, which was like, hey, guys, what's up? And then it had like his his like that was his catchphrase. It, that, that was his hey, catchphrase. guys, what's up? Hey, guys, what's oh, up? And then, and then it had like his Twitter handle and his like Instagram handle. Like, oh, it, no, it had at stuff on the on the tombstone. Oh, shit. But yeah, see, that's a, I, that's that's a bummer. That's that was sad. It was grim. It was grim because that's like dying basic. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's like, that's like, that's, that's dying in the way that like pretty much everyone, every graveyard, you know, in the, in the next 30 years is going to be like, smash that subscribe button. (laughs) It's going to have one hype beast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's just going to be one decked out fucking like, (laughs) fucking headstone. It's going to have like shoes. (laughs) He's beasting with the angels now. He's beast with the angels now. Yeah. But like, you know, I if it's me, I want my I want to be buried in quicksand. You know what I mean? I want to yeah. be like dr- drown my corpse and come in wet, wet mud, wet mud, dude. Sticky, icky. I want the other corpses to be jealous of how much how wet I am. You know, yeah. how much I get it in. Yeah, that that's the that's the. That's the corpse rest that I, I learned some, hope to have. I learned someday. something new about you today. I didn't know that you like snorkeling. I don't really like snorkeling. I just I've never done it, and I know I would like it. Mm, it's fun. But I've I never like done it. A lot. It looks amazing, you and get to like see I, the fishes I, and shit. You get to see the fishes. I love flippers. Uh-huh. Um, I lo- I like the idea of being able to breathe underwater. Although I don't really know how snorkeling works. Well, you, you don't breathe really breathe underwater. underwater. You're just on the. T- you kind of float on the top of the water, and you can breathe while looking down. But you don't really. All right. So I like scuba diving. Then really. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that makes more L- sense. I mean, scuba both diving fun. sounds. Scuba diving sounds the best, dude. Yeah. Well, there's less gear with snorkeling, but you know. Yeah, but I mean, I'm a gear guy, dude. I fucking love <laughs> I fucking true. love gear. That's true. Dude, it, you get me like some fucking gear, I don't care what it's for, dude. I'll fucking use it. Yeah. I'm you, into gear. You can talk regulator masks all day. 
all day, dude. I'll regulate my fucking mask. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, that's uh, well, R.I.P. Brandon Irons. Did I get his name right? Yep. He loved to go in. He was at all the cockies, had a huge cock and a Bre- mustache. Is it Brendan or Brandon? Brandon. Brandon Irons, dude. R.I.P. You're, yeah. you're, you're fucking swimming with the angels now. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, in other news, uh, TMZ has been concerned that Aaron Carter, uh, the younger brother know, of one of... I, you know Aaron Carter. I know Aaron Carter. Well, for the people who don't, he's the younger brother of one of the Backstreet Boys. Yeah. The well, the, I, I think arguably more successful solo career younger brother you sure know? yeah yeah what are they wor- they're worried about him What's yeah wrong so with Aaron? he he apparently he adopted dumped on Shaq. he adopted a bulldog from the lancaster animal shelter and okay. then and then he said that he was going to sell it for three thousand uh, dollars oh so he's a piece of shit and uh well he said it was a joke and i don't know maybe that's true okay but, but the tmz headlines are all about him flipping rescue dogs and uh yeah yeah that sounds <laughs> like the kind of scumbag shit that uh a uh boy band stars younger shittier brother would do but you know what no what? If, if he flips rescue dogs everybody wins i don't know if everybody wins i feel like the dog if the dog gets a new home he gets some dog- cash the people are someone who spins spends three grand for a bulldog i mean probably is going to take care of it i would hope yeah, you'd hope so, but also, I mean, I guess I don't know. It it does feel relatively victimless, other than the victim of the person who chooses to pay. I mean, it's it's kind of encouraging this uh, society in which we pay for dogs rather than adopting it. So that's kind of of a bummer. But I guess other than that, it's not the worst thing in the world. It just kind of makes me worried for Aaron Carter, to be well, honest. Well, do people think that? Why doesn't they, he? Why doesn't did he run out of I dunked on Shaq money? It could be. Damn, you would have figured that Duncan no, on Shaq he, would he claims get you at least he makes three, three million dollars a year and he has no need to flip bulldogs. Yeah, well, he definitely doesn't make three million dollars a year, but he uh, maybe he doesn't need to. Maybe he just he's in it for the love of the game. Well, look, if he if if he first of all, you you don't adopt a dog for free. Like shelters, you still have to pay an adoption fee at the shelter. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I mean, it's not three thousand dollar adopt adoption yeah. fee. But look. If you found the dog at home, the dog gets a home. Uh, everybody wins. Yeah, yeah. Except yeah, that dumbass. I, I, I don't know. Except the dumbass who paid three grand for it. That's on them. Yeah, I guess that is on them. Yeah, I'm not really sure how I feel about this. To be honest, it's uh, until I get more details. Um, I just choose to believe victims, and the victim here is clearly uh, the person who spent three thousand dollars for a shitty used bulldog. Yeah, who wants you know? a used bulldog, dude? Don't once, get a used one, dude. Once once you leave the lot, they lose most of their resale. They lose value. All, like most of their value, dude. They start growing up. It's gross. They start wheezing. <laughs> they start wheezing on you. They start barking and pooping and shitting, drooling. Usually they shit. wheeze and drool no matter what, but yeah. But I mean, it's worse if you get it used. Yeah. Um. So Matt. Yeah. You saw that movie that once a time in Hollywood, once, once upon a time once, in Hollywood. Once there was in Hollywood. I saw it. Yeah, by Quentin Terrence Plana. <laughs> uh, yeah. Once there was a guy, Hollywood guy. Yeah, I did. Once that's, upon like the, a t- that's like the Tommy Wiseau version of it. Yeah, it's called Once a Guy in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, it's very great movie. Great movie. Wow. Good thinking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, I saw it uh, yesterday, and um, 
Yeah, I did. What about you? Did you see it, Vince? I sure did. I saw oh, it. I saw it at the ArcLight Hollywood, which is right behind the Pacific Cinerama, which I know, which they featured uh, in a sh- in a shot. Yeah, I mean it's great for people that are in LA to see that movie, and you're like, I know that place. I've been that place. Okay, so before I saw the movie, uh, I was hanging out with Scott Lurs, a uh, former broadcast guest. Uh-huh. Um, uh, runs a great show called The Chatterbox uh, uh, Sundays in Covina. And uh, he, I hadn't seen it yet, and he told me that um, he really liked the movie, and then he said it got him excited about doing stand-up again. Huh. Um, and yeah, and I wasn't sure what he meant by that. So I saw the movie, and I still wasn't sure what he meant, but then halfway through enjoying a nice uh, Thai food dinner with my love, Francesca, my girlfriend who I love very much, she loves me back, um, I realized, oh, the reason that it got him excited about stand-up again is that he probably is not from Los Angeles, moved mm. to Los Angeles, and a lot of Hollywood uh, landmarks are featured heavily in this movie, and not like the Hollywood sign and shit or the Capitol Records building that you would see in most any other fucking movie, but we're talking about like, you know, Musso and Frank uh we're talking about uh you know the cinerama um and uh, various restaurants that still exist uh in hollywood coyote that, that coyote Mexican. yeah el coyote yeah, el coyote, uh, yeah. yeah like th- and so i was like oh okay he it, it, it's kind of in a way and i don't want to sound dorky like a guy who enjoys woody allen movies but it was kind of a Los Angeles, like a little bit of a love letter um, mm-hmm. to Los Angeles, at least Los Angeles in that in that time period, um, and and yeah, I I, I, I kind of get it. Like uh, yeah, you know, because you you see all these these landmarks and and you and you don't see them in this fashionable light the way you might in other movies where you know it, it looks like you know uh, very fancy or fucking like you know like a music video you see kind of like the drab 1969 version of these places mm-hmm. um, which was cool i don't know about drab but it looked fucking pretty cool to me it was cool because of the time period but it wasn't um what's the word i'm looking for it wasn't overly fucking dramatized or or you know it wasn't made to to be um uh, so much of the time period that it feels like disconnected from it. There's a word. Help me with word. Uh, I mean, you're, I think you're trying to say it's not like glamorized. It's glamorized. not glamorized. Yeah, you but, won the word contest. But I think it was because it made it look cool as shit. Um, I, I I didn't think so. I didn't think they they made Los Angeles look all that cool. It was very. They made it look kind of how it feels, which is this kind of like hot, traffic, smog-ridden town. Yeah, I don't know. I read someone on Twitter saying like the it, it, it's like it, it transports you into a time period where you could drive uh, across L.A. like in a in, t- in 10 minutes. That's true. I mean, it didn't show that much traffic jam, but it did show a lot of driving, which I appreciated because yeah. L.A. is a town where you're just driving and driving people around is half of the movie. Well, it's I'd say it glamorizes that because uh, it's not like our lives where you're trying to get somewhere and you're like stressing out about getting there on time and then there's yeah, a fucking yeah, accident. Yeah. Instead, it's got like cool ass Brad Pitt 
looking, you know, possibly like as cool as anyone has ever looked in any movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And he doesn't really have anywhere to be like, uh, you know, he's not he's not on a time crunch. He can just sort of uh, pick up hitchhikers and and drive around in his Cadillac uh, chilling out. Well, that's uh, somewhat that's true but also you know there's a couple of times in the movie where he or at least one time in particular where he turns down uh giving the underage uh hitchhiker girl a ride because he's got to go to the other side of town i thought that was that was pretty legit and pretty real true true yeah i mean you know these are these are kind of like minor details of of the film but uh i mean i don't know it's kind of uh the minor details is what makes a Quentin Tarantino movie, I think, really good, usually. Well, also, uh, you know, usually Tarantino movies especially are very plot-driven. And this one, uh, no, not plot-driven not so at all. I think like the fact that you know that some version of the Manson family murders is going to happen yep. at some point, that's the entire story. Like, everything else is just, eh? Yeah, yeah, which was which was an interesting way of doing it because it kind of uh you know, I don't get me wrong, I love plot and I especially love Quentin Tarantino plots, but let's be honest, most of his plots, I would say, um I mean, if it's not a really plot dense universe like pulp fiction, I would say, you know, he's kind of a revenge fantasy guy. Yeah. And with any revenge fantasy, you know, the plot points are kind of basic. You know, it's like you're going to get pissed off at someone uh, and you're going to really want to see them get theirs. And then they eventually get theirs. And that's even with even within that, uh, most of Tarantino's revenge families fantasies are very, uh, very like the, the. not convoluted but like they have a lot of ins and outs to them it's a lot of character and interweaving storylines that's true there's a lot of moving parts a lot of interweaving storylines but sometimes uh, like some of my favorite things about tarantino films are just the kind of like the characters of course go nowhere like the characters that just exist in in that universe for that scene to say that line like I I love that and and so to make it not a very like plot driven movie I thought uh it was I don't know it kind of like took some of the things I love about Quentin Tarantino movies and and pumped it up to 11 like this it, movie had a preponderance preponderance yep uh, of of uh of characters and and kind of like the beginnings of plot lines that don't go anywhere, but just serve to create these like little vignette scenes that mm-hmm. I just fucking love. And like he does this thing, and I don't know, maybe it's just a function of me having seen all his movies and knowing him like far more than I do most directors. But like even when we're like, oh yeah, you know, uh, I like all the characters that don't go anywhere. And that's kind of, that was kind of Brad Pitt, like in True Romance, where he was like the stoner sure. roommate who smokes yeah. out of the honey honey bong. And yes. like you wonder if he did that on purpose, like if he cast Brad Pitt as like a callback to that guy, because he's like, here's a whole movie of oh, that kind of character, you know? Yeah, 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 completely. Yeah, I mean, there definitely was no shortage of callbacks to Quentin Tarantino's previous films. Um, uh, One of his, um, the Italian directors. um, Yeah. 
Oh, fuck. What was it? Uh, it was one of the fake Italian names from Inglorious Bastards. Oh, I didn't uh, even notice that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't Dominic DeCoco. It was, uh, oh, I forget which one it was, but it was like, there was a few like names, Italian names that they had to learn. Mm-hmm. And Christoph Waltz's character is making them repeat their names a bunch of times oh, so right. that they get their accent, right? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you know, there was like little little callbacks here. So I wouldn't be surprised if Brad Pitt's character was a uh, homage to his previous true romance character. Um, but yeah, there were there were just tons of these really rich, characters in short sweet scenes uh i loved uh kate berlant who's a a comedian um and an actress Uh, she played the uh the woman working at the bruin at the ticket office Mm -hmm. um oh right yeah i thought that was a cute scene i enjoyed that i uh, obviously the 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 girl who played the little girl in the western yeah great so good she did a great job and i hate child actors and she was wonderful I was thinking of you the whole time. I was like, I think Vince would actually like would actually like this performance because oh, she very much. Yeah, she did a great job. Yeah, she because she was kind of did the Haley Steinfeld thing where uh, in True Grit, where she plays, you know, she's a child, but she's not playing someone who is a child. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the lines are not built for a child, and so it's kind of cute to watch. But well, and also, I think what it is is I think I like it when uh, people lean into the fact that kids are weird. Like, yeah, th- I think w- you hang out with any kids like one of the things that you'll notice like right away is that they're weird. And I feel like when most people write children and the reason I don't usually like child actors is people are writing like this idealized version of what a kid is like sure. they kind of suck all the weirdness out of it and just make it like pure cuteness. And like yeah. kids are not like pure cuteness. And I also, I get like creeped out by it because it's a little, I don't know. It's like a little pedo-y to, to like <laughs> turn a, turn a kid into your like idealized notion of, of what a kid should be like. Yeah, so, you're right. Uh, all, all the screenwriters for little rascals were all definitely fucking those kids. No, but um, see little rascals, they're little shits. That's why the whole thing works. Yeah, I guess I guess I meant uh, uh, whoever wrote Jerry Maguire. Uh, fuck that little kid. Oh yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that's some Epstein shit for sure. But yeah, no, I, there there were there were a lot of little characters uh, in this film that I loved, and okay. and that's the thing about Quentin Tarantino movies is the the reason why they can be fucking three hours long. Like I realized this about myself, I he gets a lot of leeway when it comes to me. Oh, absolutely. He can, he can make a movie four hours long and I'd watch it. I well, just when, love when his I was writing. When, when, when I was on WMPR uh, the other week discussing yeah. why movies are too long, my entire yeah, no, point, no that, big was, deal. That, was, that was a huge name drop. Um, my entire point was not that necessarily movies are too long. It's uh-huh. that it used to be like films were long and now yeah, like yeah, movies yeah. are long. Like if you yes. want to make The Godfather or Heat and have that be three hours, I'm pretty okay with that because there's like things to chew on intellectually in those movies. Sure. Whereas like now we got like three hour fucking Hobbs and Shaw. I mean, we're not really because that was only like two hours and 10 minutes, but it's like, those are the kinds of movies that are generally three hours long right. where there's like nothing to say about them afterwards other than that you just got face fucked for three hours right uh, it's kind of like those movies are kind of like fireworks shows like there it's a good spectacle but you're not like talking about 
what fireworks you like best on the way home with your friends. Like there's not yeah. anything to chew on, you know, yeah. some shit yeah, exploded yeah. and you were happy about it in the moment, which is fine. Yeah. There's, there's really no need for those movies to be as long as they are. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, so points of discussion in this movie, yeah. um, the ending, obviously, um, yeah. it's weird because I wasn't waiting for like a huge firework. Like I, I, I enjoyed the cute moment with the kid. I enjoyed the cute moment with the ticket taker. I enjoyed the cute moment uh, with Al Pacino. The cute moment in the in the Mexican restaurant. There was these little moments, and I definitely think that plot is overrated as a general thing. I think the root of all stories is is are pe- is people in place, and this yeah. one is very much like it shows you why that's true. Like it's about characters and and a, and a play and being grounded in a place i think that's much more important um but i feel like the ending was almost um uh, i don't know like i read it as I, I couldn't decide whether to read it as an explanation of the whole movie which you could certainly read it as that or just as uh tarantino being like oh shit i gotta like i gotta have some yeah. reason that i made this at the very end you know yeah 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 i mean so uh, are we doing spoilers? Yeah, of course. Okay, all right. This, I so mean, first spoiler. of all, we got we got thirty five minutes into this with no spoilers, so so yeah, we're doing pretty good. We're yeah. doing pretty good. Um, yeah, no, I I was also torn about the ending because I realized maybe thirty forty five minutes before it was over, um, when they were you know fastly approaching the uh what was to be the climactic historical moment in which the uh manson family kills sharon tate a pregnant sharon tate and her homies Mm -hmm. um uh i realized like okay so there's a big chance that he pulls an inglorious bastards here and i don't know how i feel about that (laughs) right um and as it started kind of uh, winding up to that moment. It got to a point when I, within that like 45 minute time span, I kind of accepted that if they did it, I decided it would be a good idea. Uh Um, And so when the moment came and I realized, okay, they're doing it. They're, they're pulling an inglorious bastards. They're not going to, you know, they're going to kill Hitler in the fucking theater. They're going to kill the Manson family uh, inside of, uh, of, what's his name cliff dalton yeah rick dalton rick rick dalton's home uh and and i was all for it i was like you know because that's the thing about it is like the catharsis of a you know a revenge fantasy is something that is not as simple as as you would imagine to build uh you know kind of like this like deep throbbing hatred for for these people and they did it in such a good way uh that i was like to not to not get this catharsis i think would be like i wouldn't know what the movie was doing if they did just kill sharon tate and and all of right. the friends and that's why but that's why i find it a little bit i don't know reductive in some way because I, I the thing that i appreciated about it is that knowing it's tarantino you didn't go into it with like you like any other any other person doing this the story it would be anticlimactic because you know they're just gonna do the regular uh manson murders like as they happened and because right. because it was tarantino you didn't know like you really didn't know exactly what was gonna happen right. at the ending right and it made yeah. it climactic in some way but at the same time 
Uh, I didn't really like enjoy it. Like I didn't enjoy oh, really? it nearly as much as I enjoyed the revenge scenes in like Django or the Hateful Eight or Inglorious Bastards. Like it wasn't. It yeah. wasn't like a moment where I was super cheering for that violence necessarily. Like it was kind of. It was more shocking, but not necessarily in like a way where I was like, oh fuck yeah, like I have been in his movies in the past. Yeah, that's interesting because I I I have different feelings about it i felt like it was a return to form uh oh absolutely i agree with that i I mean only in that for me personally i thought Django was good but i honestly um i didn't get enough catharsis from the revenge Mm -hmm. i i thought it took uh there was the ratios were off there was way more torture and uh, uh, against Django and uh, against, you know, all black people um, for me to feel the catharsis of him actually like uh, killing Leo's character and then also killing um, Samuel uh, L. Jackson. Like, I, I, I just it didn't it felt like it misfired for me sure it was the same thing with the hateful eight so for this one i really did feel that catharsis i I really was like the more he smashed one of the fucking uh you know uh manson family uh people uh like that smash their face against the fucking like you know uh uh, bricks fire yeah Yeah. the bricks in the fireplace the more i was like yes more more and like i i got my fucking blood going i I think i reacted because i agree that it was returned to form but that's kind of what i didn't like about it because most of the rest of this movie was tarantino doing things that i didn't necessarily know that he could do and then the ending the ending was all stuff that like oh yeah i've seen you do this before this is all stuff that we expect from you this is kind of the things that i'm used to you doing so it's kind of went from like uh, it went from like an arena of of surprise and wonder to to one of familiarity in the end, sure. which was like I don't I wouldn't say that it was a letdown. Um, I mean, in some ways, it's a letdown. Like I, I mean, would, uh, the, the I kind of felt like it, yeah. it it ended in the beginning. Like I liked this as an origin story for Tarantino's like alternate history of the Hollywood Golden Age if the Manson murders had never happened sure. and I would watch the shit out of that HBO show. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it felt like it ended uh, right when it was getting going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I completely agree. Would I would only have liked the movie more if Emil Hirsch had been killed. <laughs> yeah. But your old I, high school classmate Emil Hirsch. My my old high school classmate Emil Hirsch. Listen, watching him die would have been the joy of my life. But <laughs> that that being said, um, I. I it, it's I just I don't know I I took something uh it, it was a lot more meaningful for him to to pull the Inglorious Bastards ending it and was it and it fell more into the genre of the type of movie he was making I mean he was making a western uh-huh. and uh, and to me it was the only logical way to end end the film and I liked it even okay. more that Brad Pitt's character uh, is hurt but does not die. Okay, I agree with that, but I also, I mean, like, I, I'm not going to chide this movie for not being woke enough, but I do feel like it does feel reactionary in the end. Like, it feels oh, very, yeah. it feels very like, oh, man, 
wouldn't it have been awesome if like John Wayne types ruled Hollywood uh, for longer instead of, uh, you know, the hippies coming in and fucking everything? Yeah. And he gets away with it because like these hippies in particular are terrible murderers and fucking awful uh, and right. racist. So, but like it, but I don't know. It makes me feel. Um. Yeah, it makes me feel like okay. he yearns for a white daddy in some ways. Okay, that, fair enough. But Francesca said something that uh that has some uh, had some analysis of this that I thought was was pretty pretty spot on. Um, she was saying that because you know they say that the '60s died with the Manson family murders. Yes. I mean this That's... whole movie is like based on that thought, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I mean, Francesca t- uh, texted me more about this. Um, yeah, it's like, according to uh, Joan Didion, you know, the 60s died with the Manson murders. Um, so in re- rewriting how that night happened, Tarantino kind of saves the 60s and uses these, like, working class Hollywood heroes to do it. Of course, which, yeah. Which I thought is an interesting way because, you of know, course. it... it if you think about it, uh, and and I wish, I perhaps that they had touched on this more when they were developing the Manson family characters, because um, the Manson families weren't like these kind of like freedom loving acid hippies. No, you know they were they were they were trying hippies, to start a race war. But they were trying to start a race war. So yeah. I, I wish he had developed that a well, little bit more in his line of thinking because it did i absolutely agree it came off as like john wayne types need to put these hippies in their place but i also and, think the text of it is like the 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 text is him saving the 60s but then the subtext is okay but which part of the 60s is, is he saving he's saving you know white cowboys that like fuck it he's saving may, you know. maybe so but if the manson murders hadn't happened um then you know, I, I mean, maybe, of course, in reality, if the Man- Manson murders hadn't happened, they would find another reason to, oh, sure. um, to hate on hippies and like uh, the hippies would have had the downfall anyway. But it was like this huge moment where all of a sudden these hippies aren't just like, you know, uh, crazy kids who are doing some smoking some dope. It was like, oh, no, these are all cultist serial murderers. And and it would have also saved hippies uh, you yeah. know, in order to kill the Manson family before they could kill anyone. There's certainly ways that you could justify it. But I've, as, as people have pointed out, like it is based on a partly flawed view like the the idea that manson killed the 60s is like a useful shorthand but it's not like yeah. true like easy no, no, of course of easy rider came out like the before all the stuff in this movie happened like right before it so like right, it, like, right, right. Th- like it was already like the counterculture was already there and he but he doesn't really and, and like he doesn't there's nothing in this that says he wanted to save the counterculture this is no, all no, no, it's no, very no. much like he wanted to save uh, you know, cowboy movies and fucking neon signs and and Steve McQueen and shit like hyper, yeah. hyper masculine and all right and you'll appreciate this. Where were the titties in this movie? And I there think were no titties even That's at the true. Playboy Mansion. No titties at the Playboy Mansion. And to me, like there's something the Freudian. Titties? There's something Freudian about the fact that Tarantino can shoot all this like super crazy violence but he's he's like too uh he's too, too much bashful. of a pussy he's too bashful to shoot like a naked woman when like a naked woman would be 
very like uh you know uh, of the time period of the act. time period very like very much a part of the story that feels like it got cut out i mean we got like brad oh, pitt's like agree. hot naked torso which was fucking great and i've never wanted oh, a great torso never Amazing wanted to torso. uh be a movie character as much as i wanted to be brad pitt in this movie but like it Absolutely. is weird that there's no nudity and it feels yeah. it feels uncomfortable with women in, in a well weird way. for what it lacks in titties uh it makes up in uh obscene shots of feet and <laughs> yeah. that is very on brand for tarantino listen i like feet as much as the next guy but they're always dirty feet when it comes to Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. And I cannot abide that. I mean, I just like, just give me, give me a shot of a clean foot and mm -hmm. I'm with you, Tarantino. But all these like dirty ass, like fucking feet, I can't stand it. You got, you got fucking Sharon Tate played by Margot Robbie at, or Roby. Doesn't matter. Her feet were ugly, dude. Just like the <laughs> bottoms of the feet were dirty. And I can't take it, dude. But, I can't take the dirty feet. But, uh, but I will what? say that, man, like the entire scene at Spawn Ranch was one oh. of the best Tarantino, one of the best scenes that Tarantino's ever shot. And so just good. Margaret Qualey, like the way, I mean, you're talking about her dirty feet, but I feel like that is so um specific to that those people like that oh completely like I she was their just dirty feet i just talking about margot ruby sure but i mean she like just they made her like a little too skinny like she looked like a person who's been dumpster diving yeah, and she's, yeah, yeah. she's weirdly like she's super sexy even though she's dirty and gross kind of and uh like ah just the way he made the manson family come alive through that character and i read that entire manson biography that jeff Gwynn wrote which was really good and yeah. uh just seeing it come alive i thought he did an amazing job and that whole scene which just felt like midsummer um, yes yes it did so good like the entire scene of her and brad pitt in the car and then just them at the ranch god damn it was so good yeah no the the yeah her in the car um and then you know that yeah that entire ranch scene and then kind of like you know, you've got the kind of foreshadowing of what's going to happen later with the, the 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 tire slashing scene, and then just the wonderful scene between uh, him and uh, George Spawn. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's yeah, Bruce Dern showing up in that moment. But I, the, I love the tire slashing because that's such a perfect thing. Because like these hippies are trying to get him to leave, and then yeah. one of them is such a dipshit. He's like, "Yeah, this guy needs to get the fuck out of here. I'm gonna slash his tires." And it's like, yeah, it's <laughs> perfectly it, self defeating. It was perfectly self defeating and perfectly well done. And and they didn't, you know, immediately cut to him punching. And then he takes off like there's a scene where they track down Tex on a horse mm -hmm. and Tex tries to get there in time, but misses him. Like all of that shit was just like, it's just it's the thing I love about Tarantino is he kind of lets these scenes breathe. He lets mm -hmm. all these sequences like have their space in real time. So, you know, when he's beating the shit out of that hippie, you're like, oh, he's actually he's actually going to get him to change the tire. And, <laughs> yeah. and that's just it's just wonderful. It's just so well done. And I got to say, um, you know, uh, like great casting job when it came to Lena Dunham's character. Uh -huh. You got to hand it to him. Like if is she not the perfect Manson family member? Yeah. Like, 
perfect. Yeah. Perfectly cast. Yeah, she was great. And the guy who played Tex Watson, like he had like dead eyed dude who has taken too much acid. Yeah. He did that really well. Really well. That was wild. Like he got they got the bags under his eyes and the redness. I was like, oh shit, he does look look like he's like fucking like acid poisoned. Like brain melty as shit, dude. Um, so, okay. So other points of discussion, um, the Brad Pitt killing, possibly killing his wife thing. <laughs> that, oh yeah. So that, to I me, completely forgot about that. So that to me, like that made me a little uneasy and not necessarily in a bad way. I feel like it was partly intended, but, uh, it is definitely weird that he made the coolest guy in the world. Cause usually like, I, I feel like the, the theoretical justification for it. Uh, is the fact that there's an entire subplot about spaghetti westerns, and the, yeah. whole, the whole thing about spaghetti westerns is that they they introduce the antihero, the guy that you sort of root for, even though he is like a sociopath or he is a piece of right. shit on some level. But th- I feel like that doesn't necessarily entirely justify it because usually with an antihero, he's like this this guy, this Clint Eastwood type who's telling you how bad he is and how he doesn't give a shit and he's going to leave, he's going to leave Tuco hanging there or whatever. But, uh, but then he does do good things. Whereas this was like, they only, they they showed Brad Pitt do one bad thing and it was completely in flashback. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't even really, uh, they imply that it's very much possible that he did it, but they don't show him doing it. Uh, so yeah, I kind of a mixed message there. And the kind way she s- was nagging him, it was almost like, well, of course he had to kill her with the harpoon gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they made it seem like, well, he probably did it. I mean, look at her; she's just fucking flapping that dick sucker instead <laughs> of getting the job done. Yeah. Quit flapping your dick sucker, lady. I'm trying to fish. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was definitely uh, it, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it was it, that's a plot point or just like a part of that character that I I didn't really get and uh, to be honest, kind of forgot about until this very moment. Uh, I mean, how could was, you forget about that amazing scuba suit? Like that was it was a great scuba suit, but it was like I I completely it, it just it plays almost no role in the film other than it's a reason why you can't get uh. Uh, another job as a stuntman right and it's a uh, little yeah it, yeah it's gratuitous for sure but i mean you know that is that is tarantino style he is a man who likes gratuitous feet and uh, gratuitous sexism um, <laughs> um yeah and, so and th- gratuitous you know shots of people driving uh un- in unsafe cars <laughs> he as, does like as we that. know from the la times footage <laughs> yeah uh, um and then uh so yeah, there was that. I don't like. I don't necessarily think it was like bad. I don't want to say like, okay, well, don't watch this movie. It's fucking canceled because it's problematic. But no, uh, no, no. but it does make me feel weird about it. <laughs> uh, you mean specifically the the wife murder? Yeah. Well, I mean, he leaves it so ambiguous that like I guess we're left to believe that he killed his wife. And yeah. uh, like I don't know if I'm supposed to feel uneasy because I'm because I'm like thinking that this guy who killed his wife is super cool and that's. Like it, like there's nothing else in the movie that would suggest that we're not supposed to totally root for Brad Pitt and think he's super fucking cool. Right. No. You. You know. You're totally right. It. It is. It, it is weird. Um. And it is. It's. It's hard to say that you can frame it as oh well this is him you know justifying him being an antihero because I mean he also 
uh, is doesn't fuck the underage girl because yeah. he doesn't want to end up on a chain gang or like get arrested or go to jail. And I, I thought that was a little bit, um, I mean, that directly conflicts with the anti-hero thing. I mean, it's fucking 1969, you know, uh, and it, part of you goes like, is this a statement about Roman Polanski or <laughs> right. not? You yeah, know, this guy's better than Roman Polanski, I guess. Yeah, which to me, I'm not sure makes him the anti-hero. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, I, yeah. To be honest, it is definitely something I, I think I low key blacked out of my film going <laughs> experience, where I was just like, nah, nah, that didn't, that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a strange, it's a strange thing, and uh, and you know there were there were parts of this movie that that uh, you know I wasn't sure how to feel. I'm not really entirely sure how to feel about him beating Bruce Lee in a fight. Okay, so that's another point of contention, and I wanted that was the next thing I was going to bring up. Um, now, first of all, like everybody's talking about how he beat Bruce Lee in a fight, but like, did he beat Bruce Lee in the fight? Like to me that like, yeah. he, Bruce Lee got in the first shot yeah, and then Brad Pitt said, do got the same the thing second. and they threw him against the car and then they were kind of, they're kind of going back and forth and that third shot never happened. No, that's true. Uh, that's true. And, and it was clear that, you know, Bruce Lee was completely unfazed by being thrown against a car. Um, you know, he was able to crack his spine back in place or whatever the fuck that was. Um, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't actually characterize it as him uh, beating Bruce Lee in a fight. Um, just, you know, being able to... But just being able to go toe-to-toe with Bruce Lee was kind of like maybe a bit much. But at the same time, you know... I mean, I'm, is it a bit much, though? Like, I, All right, so I'm yeah, going to Not really. I, I'm kind of like... Uh, a part of me is you know suspending most of my disbelief when it comes to watching a tarantino movie i mean he did a movie where fucking hitler dies in a theater yeah Christ well sake. let me read you some of the reactions to the scene so one is from bruce lee's daughter who talked to the la or the rap in the la times oh god um I understand they want to make the Brad Pitt character this super badass who could beat up Bruce Lee, but they didn't need to treat him in the way that White Hollywood did when he was alive, Shannon Lee told the rap. He comes across as an arrogant asshole who is full of hot air, and not someone who has had to fight triple hard as any of the, uh, those other people did to accomplish what was naturally given to so many others. Uh is he, that really the narrative, though? Of, okay. I mean, uh, I mean yeah. uh, let, me, let, me, let me finish okay. some of these. Uh, okay. Um, here he's the one with all the puffery and he's the one challenging Brad Pitt, which was not how he was. She said, what I'm interested in is raising the consciousness of who Bruce Lee was as a human being and how he lived his life. All that was flushed down the toilet in this portrayal and made my father into this arrogant punching bag. Um, and then, um, the LA times who, uh, <laughs> Brett Easton Ellis shit on this review specifically. Uh, I don't think it's all bad, but, um, and uh -huh. he, here she says, uh, it could have been Cliff's easy trouncing of Asian upstart Bruce Lee or Rick's constant NIMBY complaints about all these long hairs. Or maybe it was just the overkill of seeing a good humor truck pull up next to a milk truck while hip hippies openly smoked weed on Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, whatever the reason, as I shifted in my seat waiting for the film's climax, Tarantino's elegy for a time when men were men and women were Madonnas, whores, or nags, and the only people who spoke Spanish were waiters, don't cry in front of the Mexicans is an actual line played for laugh, laughs, began to feel ominously familiar, blah, blah, blah. Um, um, and then on the, on the flip side, 
the Bruce Lee's biographer, or a guy who wrote a Bruce Lee biography, this guy Matthew Polly, uh, he didn't seem to object to the scene. Um, the jump kick to the at the end to Pitt's chest is a pure Cato move. The initial series of punches that Bruce throws and Pitt blocks, ending with Pitt trapping Bruce's arm, is more like traditional Hong Kong kung fu movie choreography. But Bruce is wearing the black gloves from Cato, so more or less it's Cato, homage rather than a pure imitation. Uh, and in case you're wondering, there's no record of Lee ever saying that his hands were registered as lethal weapons, and I doubt he ever did. But Lee was a big talker and liked to brag, so Tarantino is not too far off base riffing on Lee's tough guy legend. Plus, it's a great setup for Pitt's punchline. Yeah, and let's be honest here. Like, uh, like the I think the narrative around Bruce Lee can be summed up completely in people quoting that "Be water, my friend." Like, <laughs> yeah. that's the narrative around him. Is he was is is he was? It's he's got kind of this Mister Rogers thing going on, where he is a uh, philosopher, kung fu genius. Yes, uh, and not what he was, which was an actor. Uh, yeah. and and kung fu master, you know, who lived in Hollywood and probably, uh, you know, was full of fucking hot air. Every yeah. fucking every, every martial arts guy is a little bit full of shit. First and, of all, every 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 martial arts guy and every fucking actor, yeah. like a superstar. Are you kidding me? Like yeah. he may have been. Like, I mean, comparatively, I'm sure he's way less of a piece of shit than, you know, most of the actors of his generation and had to work a thousand times harder. But the the idea that he would be walking around lecturing at people and then saying, yeah, I could beat uh, Muhammad Ali's ass. That sounds right to me. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that uh, I don't think he took too many liberties with that. Um and and as someone else pointed out, it's like we're, we're we're like arguing whether like a fictional character could have beat up a guy who had no professional fights. So like yeah. you know you could argue that either way. I don't think it's necessarily offensive to anyone. But I do wonder like what that scene necessarily added to the movie. Yeah, I mean, I thought, I mean, that's the thing. You can argue that about a lot of scenes in in this movie. What did it add to the movie? Uh, some are worse than others, but like. You know, this I thought what this added to the movie was a badass fucking kung fu fight between Brad Pitt and Bruce Lee, something we've always wanted to see. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't think it was um, I mean, you know, I, I this idea that somehow it tarnishes his legacy is ridiculous at this point. Like, do we really need to keep this hero worship of anyone alive? Yeah, like, I think it so comes from. I think this this came from someone who was super into Bruce Lee and yes. like and riffing on that is not it, it, I don't think it I don't think that it cheapens Bruce Lee in Tarantino's mind and I think he intended it for other people who would read it that way which you know like his biographer like I think people that know Bruce Lee stuff like the people that are worried about this they're mostly worried about what other people are going to think about it I don't necessarily yeah. think that they're offended by their own interpretation of the scene because i don't know i didn't really interpret it as oh like bruce lee is less because of this scene no yeah yeah it was it was something that as i was watching it i knew that people were gonna have some thoughts about it but, yeah but mostly because of how mr rogers this motherfucker has been kind of like propped up to be <laughs> since you know yeah since the be watcher my friend fucking clip like hit the internet like like people kind of 
there's a lot of hero worship around him. He can kind of do no wrong to see him like mouthing off and then getting, you know, uh, uh, in a fight with Brad Pitt and actually getting hurt. Like I, I knew I was like, uh, uh, this will piss some people off. It'd be mm-hmm. like seeing, you know, Mr. Rogers be like, oh, the problem uh, today is there's too much violence on TV and homosexuals are trying to get married. <laughs> we'd, be, yeah, yeah. We, we'd all be like, no, he didn't say that. Yeah, but yeah. you can goddamn bet that he believed it. I would say that I, I would say that it's uh, I, I could imagine this playing out with like Keanu Reeves 20 years from now where, yeah. where someone someone does something like where like a fictionalized Keanu Reeves isn't like the the coolest, nicest, wokest guy in the world. And people are like, what? That's not, yeah. that's not what Keanu Reeves does. The Internet said he's nice. He gave his seat to a lady on the subway. <laughs> yeah. OK, so how can he be bad? Yeah. It's like, uh, like, it, th- listen. It wasn't showing him. He didn't Polanski anyone in this movie. Yeah. He was mouthing off. What? What are we gonna fucking? And no one would fault him for mouthing off. It's right. Fucking Bruce Lee. Yep. Let's let's be honest. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, how I, dare I, you say George Takai is not funny? Yeah, yeah. He's funny and he's smart. He has best memes. His memes are good. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, it's, I, I enjoyed the Bruce Lee fight. Uh, but again, you know, yeah, didn't add much to the movie at all, except for the brilliance of the flashback scene. Uh, and cause this movie was, was done in this way where, where flashbacks, um, just happened. Yeah. And, and you weren't sure if you were seeing a flashback or, or if we were still in the same time period, like in that case, uh, I had no idea that we were seeing a flashback. I thought he just got him the job. Somehow right. he got the job yeah, as a stuntman. Yeah. And then there's the fight scene. And then he gets fired. And then it's back to him on the roof trying to fix the antenna. And he says, fair enough. And, and then I was like, that, that and was then, brilliant. And yeah. And then we're also just wondering whether if that's just the way that Brad Pitt's character remembers that or if that was what actually happened i, ca- I kind of took it as that was what actually happened because in the absence of anything else like yeah right yeah we can we can we can say that that's probably what actually happened but i i like the interpretation of that's just how brad pitt chooses to believe it yeah um but yeah i know i thought it was great um and you know uh there is part of me that is like of all the scenes in the movie, I will say like, the, yeah. like I, if they, if they had decided to cut out the Bruce Lee se- sequence and I was like in the editing room, I would have been like, yeah, I don't, I don't need that. Like, there's, I could see that going over many most of the other scenes. Like most of the other uh, scenes, I'd be like, no, that has to be in there. But that scene, I'm like, eh, you know, you don't really need that one. Not me, man. I honestly, I I've heard tell of a four hour cut of this film that exists, and I I am so ready for it. I'm so down for it. Like, again, the longer the better. I I I enjoy. I I every time I watch Kill Bill, I watch both volumes back to back. I consider them to be one movie. Like, I just I I love long Tarantino films, man. And and that scene added just as much to the movie as anything else. The only scene that I do take on bridge with is yeah, him killing his wife. I mean, it's it's less the scene. It's more the the kind of you know what uh, the plot point i guess i don't i, don't I really... just feel like that says that scene said more about brad's pit character than the bruce lee scene did sure sure but i think it was part of the 
you know, again, could be uh, more trying to him being the anti-hero. You know, he's beating up Bruce Lee. You know, yeah. but uh, again, you know, he uh, he he was also being like, I don't want to start any trouble. You know, so mm-hmm. clearly, Bruce oh, he wanted Lee, to start some trouble. Yeah, Bruce Lee was trying to start the trouble there. No, Brad uh, Pitt wanted to start some trouble too. Yeah, he did, but also all he all he did was laugh, and and uh, Bruce Lee was like, "What are you laughing at?" I mean, yeah. that's you know, that's them both starting trouble. And also, as we established, Brad Pitt is really good at parkour. He can just get like right up on that fucking roof without yes, any ladder can, or anything. Yes, How's he, he gonna can. get down though? That's what I want to know. Dude, he'll figure it out. He's Brad fucking Pitt. He could beat up Bruce Lee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I. I uh, yeah, what else happened in this movie? Well, the, I mean, the dog we, had a dick at one point. I was like, "Wow, you're gonna leave? You're just gonna leave the dog's dick in there? You can get someone to airbrush the dog dick out?" Yeah, you gotta go Lion King style and and, and just airbrush that dick. Yeah, um, I felt like I was taking crazy pills. Like I'm the only one who notices the gender of animals anymore. Yeah, I, you kind of are. <laughs> <laughs> did you not you... notice the dog like jumping up on the door and you could see his dick in that scene in the oh no i saw his dick uh and and i thought of you because i was like you've now trained me to look for dicks in animals well it was more that like at the beginning when he's talking to that dog i was like oh that's a sweet pit bull is that a boy or a girl pit bull and then it looked like and, a girl and then he called it brandy i was like oh it's a girl pit bull and then like five minutes later you see its dick and you're like oh what the hell yeah 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 i'm sure that was a big shock to you uh <laughs> <laughs> Look, trans dogs are bitches too. That's right. God damn right, dude. I I'm, I'm going to get that embroidered <laughs> on a pillow. Um yeah, I uh I think we would be remiss if we did did not mention uh just the picture perfect performance of Leonardo DiCaprio in this movie. You think? You think so? Yeah, he did a good job. Oh, not just a good job, a great job. I mean, the dude is you know, out here, as they say, it's bling bing, <laughs> bling bling. <laughs> yeah. But in that movie, it was totally bling bang. It was. I just, I, I, I thought he was incredible. The scene where he is, uh, you know, with the little girl holding her hostage, and he's playing an actor who's nervous about the scene. Uh-huh. In the scene, like that bit of meta acting, usually meta acting in movies doesn't phase me because it's just like the actor will just act and it doesn't do much but in this scene i just thought he was wonderful yeah he was so good i mean that whole scene again that was another another scene that was just excellent from start to finish yeah yeah and uh it just him in his trailer yelling at himself saying he was gonna (laughs) blow his brains out so fucking funny you know there's a reason why literally every all of the best directors in the world want to work with Leo DiCaprio and it's cuz he is legitimately one of the best actors around. You heard it here first, <sighs> yeah, folks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I I credit that Come in with a milk. Come in with a milk. I credit that to the writing of that. I mean the writing of that character is brilliant. I don't necessarily I mean I you know, I like I like Leo. Listen, the writing is brilliant, sure, but not everyone can deliver on that brilliance. I mean, I will say that Tarantino does have a way of making uh you know actors to to kind of like give actors their career back yeah you know uh, people who you wouldn't think um you know he 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 casts against type i guess a lot of times but he also like um you know he you know fucking john travolta and fucking pulp fiction or the whatever the actor was who played max cherry in um jackie brown like 
he's he's able to uh Forster, really... you mean? What's that? Forster, you mean? I don't know. Is that his name? Yeah, the bail bondsman. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 What's his name? Uh Robert Forster, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just like in general, he's able to like get these brilliant performances out of people just vis-a-vis his writing. But I will say that Leonardo DiCaprio brought so much to that role, and I thought he was so good. Sure, uh, look, I thought it was. I, Leo's wonderful. great. I just feel like uh, I don't know. He's a he's a handsome guy that got a million chances. And yeah, uh, yeah. And he, like he he's improved, and park. he's and he's done a lot with those. He's done he's it, he's done great with it. He has. I think he's wonderful. I think it's beyond him being handsome. I used to think he was just a handsome. No, face, I don't think it's. But then I don't think I it's saw... just that him. I don't think it's just that he he was handsome. I just feel like I feel like it's unfair to put uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, who's good because he because he got a million chances and made the best of it, to put him in the same category as like a really fucking weird looking guy, like you know oh, a Steve sure. Buscemi or like a or like a, a John C. Riley or a Philip oh. Seymour Hoffman. Like those guys are still on a completely different level than a handsome guy like Leo. Listen, 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 listen. I I couldn't agree with you more. I, I'm not saying he's my favorite actor. Uh, I'm not saying that. Sure. He hasn't had a billion chances to fuck shit up. And yeah. like he hasn't he he's failed in multiple times. And he's not I mean, honestly, there's only three modes of DiCaprio. I mean, sometimes you his know? roles are bling bling, sometimes they're bling bang. Yeah, that's the thing. But like, you know, he's 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 basically got three characters and two of them scream like girls. <laughs> yeah. But but he when he's on when when a character is just perfect for him he just he's just so good yeah uh, he, this is definitely know, an example of that i, would I agree. mean al pacino is the same way al pacino yeah. is only is only a couple of modes yeah but but you get al pacino uh a perfect role for an al pacino in in a movie and he's wonderful yeah i thought he was great in this but i've never seen him better in anything than him playing uh roy Cohn in uh in angels in america the miniseries like you know that's uh, occasionally you get that kind of performance from from an actor in this movie he was fine but this to me was uh like al playing roy Cohn in angels in america i thought <laughs> just the perfect casting mm-hmm. for leo dicaprio he was just so good in it oh sure. he was great i love him all right i'll go with that i he was fucking great in this God damn right he was. And, um, you know, th- th- I, I want to talk a little bit about Margot Robbie. Um, mm-hmm. I'm never going to pronounce her last name right because I refuse to. I believe uh, it's Margot. Is, okay, Margot, uh, the, the Margot Rabbi. Uh, Actually, she- I like the idea of Australians pronouncing it Margot because they fucking pronounce the T in every French word. They're like, oh, oh it's a chicken fillet, it is. Oh yeah, they do, don't they? Yeah, they do. F- fucking weirdos. Um, so uh, I remember there was some talk around her character not having enough lines or or something. There was some like like claims of sexism when it came to her portrayal of of Sharon Tate. Um, do you know anything about this? Yeah, they asked him about it at Cannes, and he was like, "I just." I reject your whole hypothesis. Uh, yeah. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and so, you know, I was I was hypersensitive to that, I think, because of that uh, exchange. Um, 
And I didn't, yeah, I didn't really see it. Uh, of course, I'm not, uh, I talked to Francesca about it and he, she said in terms of sexism, it felt par for the course for for Quentin Tarantino. And I thought that was a pretty, a pretty accurate description like mm-hmm. it didn't it didn't feel any more or less sexist than i mean like her role in society was this beautiful woman pinup ethereal presence that we didn't really know that well when she died and right. like and he's and he's just going with that i mean yeah he maybe like could have you know figured out like gotten into her head a little more but that wasn't really like her role in this story and that yeah. would be kind of I don't know. It'd be asking a lot, and I don't necessarily know that it would have made the movie better. And I, I wanted to just make this point where uh, there's kind of this emphasis on lines of dialogue that I think a lot of people put uh, a lot of stock behind when it comes to um, kind of the it's a sexism and the inequities between men and women in film uh, as actors or as characters. And I think that kind of does a disservice to what uh Sharon Tate's character is in this movie because this was I mean I haven't seen any other movie about the Manson murders specifically but like for me I thought that what was great about this was that they were able to you were able to see Sharon Tate as like a human being that you cared about mm-hmm. um and uh, as someone that you empathized with and sympathized with and, and someone who by the end of the movie you absolutely did not want to see die in a Tarantino-esque way so it was one of the reasons I that I uh, you know I saw that th- they could do no other ending than the Inglorious Bastards ending to the movie because I was just like you know uh, uh, they did a lot without you know the the fact that she didn't actually talk all that much in the movie uh like making that kind of like your barometer for is this a good portrayal or is this sexist to me uh is kind of uh, it's it's a shitty way of looking at it because they did more to uh develop the character with her going into the movie theater to watch her own movie yeah. and enjoy that experience and enjoy receiving the laughter um from the movie go from the moviegoers then they could have done in any scene of her talking about it yeah you and know I- and like movies in general are kind of about a good filmmaker shows doesn't tell mm-hmm. you know and so uh yeah and i you know i don't want to put the, any words in the mouth of the people who are making the claims of sexism or whatnot. But if it was just about the fact that she didn't have like a bulk amount of dialogue in the movie, uh, I just think that's a kind of a, it's a shitty barometer for whether or not the character was fleshed out. Cause I thought it was plenty fleshed out and I thought it was a marvelous character. Yeah. And know? I think, I think what they got at, which is a thing that you don't see often is that uh, he sort of portrayed an actor not as like a glamorous movie star but also as like kind of just a dork who likes movies like she yeah. kind of like you don't usually see the Sharon Tate being like you know just a dork who really liked movies and that's kind yeah. of what you got out of her and that was kind of an interesting angle that you don't usually see yeah and like even with the you know his you know gratuitous use of uh, of feet the fact that her her feet were dirty you know was she, i mean I think it would be safe to say Tarantino was doing an art there, you know, (laughs) like I think he was doing an art in that, like, 
her dirty feet represented like the fact that she's just like a regular girl, just like you and me. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot to be said for that in terms of like character development and, and fleshing out a character and showing the humanity of a character. So through her feet. Uh, through her feet, you know, and, you know, this is what he does, man. Tarantino makes movies for two reasons. One, so he can say the N-word, and two, so he can show women's feet. And, he, you know, one out of two ain't bad. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I do honestly think that. I, I thought it was a great uh, portrayal, uh, although, you know, at the end of the day, she does play the damsel in distress type character which is kind of on point for a fucking western you know yeah i mean i I, you can't excuse all the film shortcomings for because oh well he's doing a western but you can say that it you know was following somewhat of a formula and and that does justify a lot of his choices in in the in the movie yeah yeah uh, I think that's a good place uh, to wrap it up. Hell yeah, dude. Let's wrap it up there. I would say uh, solid B plus um, as a film. Uh, just uh, a wonderful film. To, fun for the whole family. Go take your mom. Take your nagging ass shitty wife. Uh, shoot her <laughs> with a spear. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, uh, throw her body overboard, I suppose. Um yeah uh patreon.com slash broadcast and you're gonna get all of these wonderful film reviews that that vince mancini actual film critic and matt lieb me not actual film critic do together uh and uh yeah vince what's the google voice number 415-275-0030 just a fyi i'm gonna be on vacation for this next week so next week we're not gonna get a new cast most likely but you know what uh you pigs will uh snort up our slop when we give it back to you you know yeah oink, goddamn right oink oink, oink piggies because guess what you want the slop and you'll starve for it but we'll give you it because you crave it eat yeah. our slop <laughs> broadcast at gmail.com and we love you again, we do it for the fans we do we do we love it for you uh have a good night and eat the slop mm-hmm mm-hmm